love, we get about to read a text which is thousands of years old and there's a bloke writing something and he asks the question, life's not fair. Why is that? Where's Jesus when life's not fair? Where are you, Father, when the stuff I don't want to happen happens? Where are you and how do I face that? Just to uh, explain briefly, I'm a twin. Uh, My brother, he lives down in Cardiff. uh, And uh, I know all about life's not fair because I am a twin. And because every moment growing up, my mum would tell you every story about when she was feeding one of us a spoon and the other one went, he's had one more. So she'd feed the other one and then he'd go, "Uh, he's had one more. And so we like, life's not fair. He got a bigger slice of the cake. He got more presents at Christmas. They got, they, right? It, life's not fair, whether it's something silly or life's not fair, whether it's something serious, but we've all been through it. And so I've dealt with this journey myself. And I believe that we go through this journey every day. So let's dive in. Just a bit of background at the top. If you're reading it, you'll see it says a Psalm of Asaph. Who was Asaph? He, well, he was one of the three Levites commissioned by David to lead the singing in the temple. If you want to back that up, it's in 1 Chronicles, you can go have a look. So we don't know whether he wrote this himself or he heard King David singing in the temple and wrote this down. Either way, it's a great psalm. I encourage you to read it and go back and reread it. So if you're imagining, okay, how can I picture it? Just imagine the, the lovely worship team here. This is what it's doing. This should have been, can I say, no notes. And you just worship like that off the top of your head. That's amazing. Fair play. Uh, just, I'm trying to learn piano myself and that's exceptional. Uh, uh, I wanted to say that. Uh, so, so that's what we're looking at. It's like someone standing behind the, not the keyboard, but the ancient equivalent of that. And, and, and just pouring out their praise and writing this down. And that's what we're dealing with today. So we're going to look and and we're going to go through it in sections. There's about five sections to it, I think. But we're going to see this pattern and this journey of this person's heart. So we read verse one, truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. Now this is his title. This is him saying, don't forget this because I'm going to come back to it. I'm starting with the main point, but you're going to have to let me get there. Have you ever had a text from someone on email and you're like, where, where are you going with this? I, he's coming, he's going to come back to this. In the middle, you might feel a bit lost, but he's going to come back to it. Surely good is, God is good to Israel. Now, when he talks about Israel, we can translate that to those who have, they are his people, God's chosen people. Paul says that we're grafted into the promises of Israel. So if you receive Jesus, when he says Israel, he means you. Surely God is good to you. Don't think, oh, this is for people thousands of years ago. This is for us today. Verse two, but as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. Has anyone ever felt that with faith? Feet were slipping. Life's not quite going the way you wanted it. You know, church has maybe hasn't, hasn't been as good as you thought it would be. And the pay packet wasn't as big as you thought it'd be. And that relationship or that date didn't go as well as you thought it would. And all of a sudden, you, your feet are slipping. This is where Asaph is. He's writing this. He's saying, my my, my feet were slipping. Why? Because verse three to nine, I'm calling this the life's not fair section. (laughs) So get ready because this gets a bit heavy or a bit whiny, to be honest. My daughter woke up at 20 past five this morning and she was very whiny. And this is what I imagine if you could speak. This is what she'd sound like. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. 
These fat cats have everything their hearts could wish for. Side note, I love the fact that fat cats is in the Bible. Verse 8, they scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against their very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. Life's not fair. Now, I want just to pick up on every single point of those six verses. It's all comparison. The reason you think life's not fair, generally, is because we're looking at someone else. We're looking at someone else's usually social media, which isn't their life anyway. We're looking at someone else's life. We're looking at someone else's highlights. But you see, this person right here, Asaph, is going, life's not fair because he spent his entire time going, look at them. Look how much money they've got. Look at the lifestyle they live. Look at none of their family are ill. No one's died of COVID in their family. You see, when, when we get sucked into comparison, you will live a life that constantly screams, life's not fair. You will. That's just the heart of it. When we stand and we look at other people's lives and we look at other people's highlights, we will get stuck in a life that simply repeats that life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. But look at the impact of that comparison. In the coming verses, starting at verse 10. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. So you see the the comparison, the, the idea that life's not fair actually leads people to confusion. Confusion about God's goodness. Let's be honest, we've been there. Something terrible happens and we go, are you good? I'm finding it hard right now with the Ukraine-Russia stuff going, God, what? Where are you? I'm just being honest. Where are you? Because you see, when I spend my life in a life's not fair attitude, when I spend my life looking at everything else, when I spend my life looking at anything other than Jesus, if you're concentrating, think of a flash forward to uh, Peter on the water, who takes his eyes on the way, takes off Jesus to the waves. When we spend our lives looking at the things which are away from God, that are the things, the distractions, the, the, the things that life throws at us, we fall into confusion. It makes us question our faith, and we begin to self-pity. We begin to say, oh, well, well, I just, I don't know, maybe I just, maybe I just give up. Maybe I just won't go to church on Sunday. I'm just not feeling it. Maybe I just won't let my pastor know what's going on. Do you know what? Maybe I won't just pray. I'll just watch some Netflix. Maybe I just won't do this stuff. In fact, carrying on, look at verse 13. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. I've been there in faith. When you get up for Sunday church, you get up and you, and you, you give your tithes. And you do those things. And it still feels like everyone else has a better, easier, more fruitful life. And you spend your life stuck or, or lost or feeling like you're, you're walking through treacle of faith, trying your best to pray and see God move and invite your friends and nothing is quite going the way you want it to. It's what 
the life's not fair attitude does. That's what comparison does. It pulls us into this circle where we actually get to the point where we're saying, should I even be a Christian at all? What's the point? Should I keep my heart pure for nothing? If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. Notice he takes a step out of the story. He says, actually, if I had said that out loud, I'd have been in trouble. <laughs> so we recognize now that everything of this was in his head. Point number two, you're struggling with something, share it with someone. Not publicly, not on your Facebook page, <laughs> please. Go and tell someone. Hey, hey, Luke, man, do you know what? I'm just I'm struggling with this stuff with Ukraine. I don't know where God is in this. And Would you pray with me? You see, these first... 12 verses he's done in his head he's been reeling and thinking and and wondering and he's if he's anything like me he sat up late at night in the dark never happens on a sunny sunny walk does it never walking through Aberdeer Park going oh life's terrible usually this is quite nice when you're thinking when you're alone when you're in the dark when the enemy tries to whisper those things to you that's where this pattern and this mindset comes from So verse 16, really interesting. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. You see, searching in earthly wisdom gets you nowhere. What Asaph's done there is he sat and he's gone, "Mm, how does this work then? How how can I, you know, uh, figure this out? How can I solve this problem on my own? How can I work this out? You can't. We can't just sit there and hope things or think things better. If you're in a moment of darkness, who knows that just trying to think things better doesn't work. It doesn't get us anywhere. So what does he do? Verse 17, hinge point of the message. Please, if you're taking notes, highlight it, star it, whatever. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God. Now, by the way, if you're thinking I'm not that holy, it's taken him 17 verses to go to Jesus. I've been there. I should really pray about this. I've been stressed about this for a week. I should pray. I should really dive into Jesus. I should really get around people. Still taking him 17 verses, but he gets there. Then I went into your sanctuary, oh God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. The rude people, the harsh people in your life, the people that have all the money and don't care how they treat others, they'll get their fill on earth. But what this psalm's saying is they'll get it in heaven too, or not, if the case may be. When we look around and we compare, we, we need to recognize that this has this 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 isn't eternal. What people have, the money people have, the cars they drive, the, the lives they live, the health they have, it's not eternal. We live in an eternal kingdom. You're going somewhere eternal. You're living in a place where there will be no tears and no pain and no suffering. And we might have to wait a little bit till we get there, but we're getting there. 
And all of a sudden, Asaph is taking this sort of mental switch to go all of a sudden, he's taking his mindset from an earthly mindset to a heavenly mindset. And it brings things into perspective in an instant. I'm not going to have to deal with them forever. In fact, I'm going to be able to stand in the beauty of God's kingdom forever. And I don't know about you, but hearing that the people I don't like are going to get their fill one day, that's a nice place to end on a psalm, isn't it? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, no. Hearing that the, the money wasn't last forever, that those people that just aren't generous and are horrible, and, and, and then God's going to deal with them rightly in any way that he, if he sees fit, fine. Great. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's get on with the day. And we do that so often. Can I just say, we do it so often. We get the answer we want. We have a change of perspective. And we end. And we say, Amen. Thank you, God. Great. Feel better. The second half of this verse, uh, the second half of this passage will change your life. Can I just say that? Prepping you now, it will change your life. Because look at what this writer does next. Verse 21. Then I realized my heart was bitter. And I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. You see what Asaph does here is he goes, ooh, that joy in my heart that someone else is going to get their fill. Those nine verses where I just reeled in my own darkness. The fact it took me 17 verses to go to your sanctuary, Lord. That might be me. Let me tell you a story. I'm, I, got, I get road rage, man. I, I'm really sorry. If you see me driving home or you saw me driving it, I'm sorry. I'm, Jesus is doing a work in me, but if you drive slow, and by slow I mean the speed limit, I know it's terrible, isn't it? I, I get frustrated. Do you know what my number one phrase I say in the car is? question should probably be what's wrong with me because you see I can be in such a rush I can be, think I need to drive my my speed and my thing and get there on my time that I completely forget what's going on in that car and in that person's life and that there might be someone crossing the road or there might be a learner up ahead or there might be something else going on you see what Asaph asks here is actually what's wrong with me so you can live your life and I promise you it, it won't be fruitful and it won't be joyous, but you can just sort of carry on living your life and hearing that people will get their fill and you feel good about that and you go, great, thanks Jesus, amen. Can I tell you what would be much better for you? It's if we spent our lives going, where did that come from? Where is that brokenness from? Where, where did that hurt come from? Why, why did I respond in that way? When that person challenged me at work, why did I get defensive? When someone said something that they just wanted to help me and I said, I don't need your help, thank you. Where did that come from? Because you see, that is going to be the time and the place where we step into fruitfulness. That is how our spiritual lives are going to step into fruitfulness. In fact, imagine how much nicer we would be as a church, a universal church, if rather than going, ah, there's something wrong with you, we went, what's wrong with us? Because I'll tell you, people out there, 
They know the church for what we don't agree with. We're known for what we don't agree with. We're known for what we say, that's a sin, and that's a sin, and that's a sin. What if we did more time going, maybe I'll take the log out of my own eye. You know that funny story that Jesus told that everyone says, ironically, but it's actually true? What if I went, maybe there's brokenness in me. Maybe my road rage actually comes from the fact that I value my timeline over anyone else's. So maybe I need to recognize that's pride in me. I'm doing this about me so you can reflect on you. I'm not a totally evil person, but I'm a little bit broken. But there's stuff in our lives that we have responded again and again and again and again. Sometimes it'll be when Luke asks you to do something. He says, can you do that? You think you always ask me, don't you? We'll never ask anyone else. Da, 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 da. Where's that coming from? Because the problem is probably not him. It's probably us. Because I'm broken. I'm messed up. I'm prideful. I can get hurt. But I wonder what fruit would come from if I recognised and I went, man, I've I got, I got to slow down when I'm driving. That person might, there might be a woman in labour in that car. And I'm like up, up the back of it trying to get. That person that, that said, can I help you? They might just have a really honest, lovely, good, kind heart. And rather than being offended, what if I said, yeah, could you help me? And then you're blessed and I'm blessed. What if we spent our time saying, what actually is the brokenness in me? Do you know why that's good? Because brokenness in us leads us to Jesus. When I get to stand and I, and I say, oh, Jesus, I, I think there's something in me. He says, come to me, mate. I'll sort you right out. I got you. Don't worry about it. I love you. In fact, let's see what happens in the coming verses. So he says, I'm broken, I'm a mess, I'm, uh, the, the issue may actually lie in me. And verse 23, yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. You see, once he realizes his brokenness and confesses it, he allows God to reinstate him for who he is. If we don't get past the brokenness stage, God has an issue telling us who we are. God has an issue revealing the truth of who we are. Because our brokenness gets in the way. That's the whole point that Jesus came. The Bible tells us that we, when we confess our sins, he is just and faithful to forgive us. But we need to confess our sins. We need to recognize we're broken. I need to recognize and stand before my church. And you need to recognize and stand before your husband and wives and your kids and say, I'm sorry. I, I got that wrong. That was on me. But even in my sin, even in my brokenness, I am still yours. Because some of us go half the way. You might be sitting and you're going, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I've done this thing again and I've broken trust with you again and I failed you again. And we forget that God wants to reinstate us. So today, can I tell you that God loves you wholeheartedly? unconditionally no matter what you've done no matter if you've been jealous again and again and again maybe you've lusted again and again and again maybe you got angry again and again and again and you can't seem to stop it confess your sins and what he says to you is you are still mine I love you I love you with everything I have in me everything I have in me
and you recognise this is the moment of restoration. Nothing's changed about your situation. If you're taking notes, if you're writing things down, if you're trying to remember what I said later, remember this. The restoration of Asaph does not come when all of his problems are solved. They come when he recognises his place before God as broken but saved. Can I tell you, the thing you're going through today, the solution you need is not for that thing to go away. That does not bring a fruitful life. You will live a fruitful life, as Jeremiah says, a tree which bears fruit in all seasons, when in every single moment, whether you are in the darkest place or the highest place, when Paul says, I have lived with little and I have lived with much, but I have recognized the truth that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is what this psalmist is saying. He says, guess what? People still have more money than me. There are still people with better health than me. There are still people who have a better looking life than me. But Jesus, I recognize that maybe that jealousy is in me. Maybe that pain is in me. And I confess my sin. And guess what? God, you love me. And I stand in the love. I stand in the freedom of your joy. I stand in the freedom of who you are for me. Not because of what I've done, but because Jesus came and died and rose again so that I could live in freedom. Not ease. Freedom. Your restoration. The, you, if you want a, a life full of joy, if you want a life full of freedom, you want a life full of peace, it's not ease. Ease does not get you there. A close relationship with God where you confess your sin again and he, he reinstates you again as a daughter, as a son of the king. That's fruitful. I've done a few uh, f- funerals for people in, you know, in this job. I have to do a few funerals. There's a different feel in funerals where people have faith because you can't take anything with you. Doesn't matter how they, doesn't matter how they died, doesn't matter what they had when they died. There's families that go, there's more than this life. There's something eternal about this. In fact, maybe we stayed and maybe they're Christian and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and God didn't move. Guess what? There's fruit in this because I know that God, they're free. They're with Jesus. There is fruit to be found when we recognize our place before God in every situation. When we say life's not fair, can I encourage you to go, yeah, Where's that coming from in me? Jesus, I confess whatever that root of that problem is. And I recognize that no matter what it is, you love me. And you are faithful to me. And you have saved me. That whilst I was still a sinner, you died for me. That I could know you. So how does he respond? Well, he responds in worship. He responds in what we've just been doing, calling out the goodness Verse 25, with whom I, whom I have in heaven but you. I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish. For you destroyed those who abandoned you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. He spent the first half of this passage whining about what he didn't have. 
whining that he was ill, whining that he didn't have money, whining that other people lived unjustly but got to carry on. You see, when he's gone through this process with Jesus, he ends with, with those words. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Can I promise you in every situation, if you can find the place to say that, you will have a fruitful, joyous, peace-filled life. Not easy. None of us live easy lives. In fact, that video of worship was just perfect. These Ukrainians stood in their city being bombed. And you know what they're saying? I have made him my shelter. I have made him my refuge. He is the peace of my heart. He is mine forever. That is what a fruitful, faithful, hopeful life looks like. We can get so caught up in our Western problems, our social media problems, our first world problems. Man, if we can live a life that daily says that. If I was sharing with Luke, and I'll end on this. Um, I was sharing with Luke that we, we had our back door uh, knocked out uh, yesterday. He was meant to be bricking it up and he wanted to get off to the rugby. But as all tradesmen are, he'd forgotten some stuff. So he only got halfway through the wall. He had to board up the wall. So it's freezing cold. Uh, my daughter woke up at 20 past five. On a whole, this day hasn't started as well as I'd like it to. And I was driving and God said, what are you preaching on? You're the peace of my heart forever. I wasn't the best dad this morning. I was a bit frustrated. Trying to think about what I was going to preach on and trying to get focused and daughter's whinging because she's tired. And I, shouldn't, I should have done that. I should have done this process. I haven't. I've done it in the car now. And I'm going to go home. I've apologised to my daughter. She's only two, but I think it's important. But I just want to show you how it's real. I'm not talking rubbish here. I hope not anyway. <laughs> I'll watch it back and I'll tell. But in our life, if we can recognise, oh, there's brokenness in me. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm responding out of anger. But God, I choose right now to confess my sin and recognise that you love me. I'm going to live out the fruitfulness and the peace that you are mine and I am yours forever. That's a beautiful life, man. So I'm just going to get us all to stand if that's okay with you. We're just going to respond to this because I think it's important to respond. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're in the life's not fair moment. You might be here right now and you're in that dark place and your life thoughts are spiraling and you're going, Jesus, where the heck are you? Because I don't see you. Everyone else got a better life than me. You might be there. Maybe you're in a, in a place where you're like, God, I'm so sorry. But you just feel the weight of guilt and shame. And you haven't given God the opportunity just to reinstate you. Just to tell you, I love you. You're forgiven. You're free. And maybe you're in a place where you're... You're in that good place. You're in a place of worship. You're in a place of, God, thank you for what you're doing. Then I encourage you to prepare for the next time something comes. Because this is circular. You're never always on the mountaintop. You're never always in the valley. But we need to recognize that a fruitful life doesn't come from ease. It comes from knowing our place before God and knowing that he is ours and we are his forever. 
So let's just hold your hands out. We're just going to stand. This is just a physical representation of something that maybe is going on in your heart that just says, God, I open my hands to you. Whether it's I, I need to let something go. Maybe it's that I need to receive a gift from you, a gift of peace, a gift of grace or forgiveness. Jesus, uh, I don't know hardly anyone in this room actually, but you do. You know our hearts. You know the conversations we've had this morning. You know what we've dealt with this week. You've seen us. You know us. And Jesus, you died anyway. You died knowing. Knowing what we do to you. Knowing the ways that we'd reject you. Because your love is so great for us. So Father, for those that are in that life's not fair section, when things are just going on, when you'd rather be out of it than in it, God, I pray right now for perseverance. That you would give people the ability to stand firm. Stand firm in the knowledge that you are with them. You have not left them. Stand firm in the knowledge that you are a faithful, loving God. That your plan is best. Father, for those that stand before you confessing but feeling guilt and shame. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that your freedom would fall right now. God, people whose hearts are just captured in chains right now, Lord Jesus. For people who are literally carrying the pain of guilt and shame and feeling like they're not good enough, would you rid that from them right now? We stand in this place and we confess, Jesus, I'm sorry for the things I've done this week that haven't honoured you. We're sorry, Lord Jesus, and we repent, knowing that you are just and faithful to forgive us. So we receive that forgiveness. We receive that freedom, knowing that you called us for it. It was for freedom that we were set free. And Father, for those who stand in this place going, life's pretty good right now. God bless them. Thank you for the blessing. Thank you for this season in their life. But God, would you prepare them? Prepare them for a new season, a season that may well come soon. God, we just pray that we would never be foolish or naive. But Father, that in every moment, in every season, would we not go for the shortcut of ease, but would we stand firm and persevere, knowing that you are faithful, you love us, and you have the best plan for us. In your name we pray. Amen.